I'm just saying, I don't have any talents like that, and I think he cheated. So, well, good morning. Welcome again to TVA. So glad you guys are here this morning. We are wrapping up our series this morning called Brick and Mortar, where we've been exploring this idea of koinonia. And I want to take time as we get started just to do a real quick review. I don't know, maybe some of you are kind of like me and you don't even remember what you ate for breakfast yesterday or maybe you've missed a couple weeks along the way. And so hopefully this will kind of bring you back up to speed, let you know where we're going. Koinonia is a Greek word and it very simply translates fellowship. But it's a lot bigger than what that one word will represent for us. It represents fellowship with God and represents fellowship with other believers But it also has a lot of other words that could describe it as well. Sometimes it's translated this way. Sometimes it's just described as things like partnership, communion, communication, intimacy, joint participation. We've got all these words in the English language that represent this one concept in Greek that we see show up a bunch of times. In fact, it first appears in the book of Acts right after Pentecost, and then we see it 18 more times throughout the New Testament. And each time it shows up, it gives new understanding to the meaning of the word. But if you remember the story in chapter 2 of Acts, it's where the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers in Jerusalem, and there's all kinds of craziness happening in that moment. There's crowds gathering, there's different things going on, and Peter steps up and he begins to preach to the crowd, and he's sharing the good news of the gospel. And in verse 41, we read this, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now, put yourself in that setting for a moment, think about that. First church, this is a church plant first day, Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. I'd say it's a pretty good start, don't you? It's amazing to see how that church comes together. Now, here's what's interesting to me. That's a cool verse. We see that great picture of what God's doing, but we often don't connect that verse with the next passage that comes after it. And the next passage you probably are familiar with, you've heard us share several different times because it's a very popular passage, but I want you to look at how they connect. Starting in verse 2, excuse me, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now I want you to notice something. It says all the believers gathered together and were doing this. All 3,000 of them who just came to Christ, who just came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, all 3,000 that had just been baptized, plus all the other believers who were already gathered there in Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They're devoting themselves to what? to the apostles' teaching, to truth. They're devoting themselves to fellowship, to that koinonia, where we see that word come out the first time. They're devoting themselves to communion, to honoring the Lord's Supper, to remembering the cross, and they're devoting themselves to prayer. Here's four foundational things that the church was being built on in this verse. Truth, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Now here's what's interesting. You look at this, the first church, you look at this foundation, and what is it that you don't see? There's no marketing strategy. There's no mountain to climb kind of vision, no business plan, no budget reviews, no anything that we would see as a normal part of church today. It's just simply a focus on growing in relationship with God and with one another. 
Maybe I'm the only person who ever does this, but do you ever wonder how they made it as a church? I mean, how did they do it with just those four things? You know, I kind of wonder if maybe we're the ones missing something at times. Now, there's one more important verse I want to step back and look at. It's, I'm going to start in verse 37, but 38 is the one I want you to actually see. This is when Peter's speaking to the crowd. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this, I would say, is the true foundation of the church that makes everything we read at the end of Acts 2 possible. Then you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. This is the transformation that happens in our lives when we come to Christ. When we repent of our sins, when we make the choice to follow Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in our heart, and we are forever changed. That salvation experience brings an immediate change in us. In fact, I would say that you cannot have an encounter with God and walk away unchanged. There's going to be transformation. There's going to be some kind of change that happens, but I think it's even bigger than that because the Holy Spirit also begins a lifelong journey of changing us from that point forward. So there's the immediate transformation that happens. There's the new creation that we read about, but then there's also the ongoing change that is going on. And when you look at that community in Acts, they were able to share everything they had. They were able to love each other in that koinonia fellowship, and they were so attractive to the world around them because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in them, both in them individually and in them as a church family. Stop and think about it for a moment. How many of you would willingly sell everything you have and I mean everything, your home, your car, cars, boats, stuff, clothes, whatever. You would sell it all and give it to other people in the church. No hands, no takers? Really? I figured you'd be eager to do that. You'd be all excited to sell all of your stuff and give it away. How many of you would come to church every single day? And then you'd meet with your small group in between church services that we were having every day because nothing else mattered other than growing in your relationship with God and the other believers and drawing closer to him. See, those are not natural things for us. That's not our normal. Those things only happen because the Holy Spirit is creating new desires and transforming us completely from the inside out. That Acts community is walking in perfect unity, one heart, one mind, 100% focus on God and what he's doing in them. They're pursuing him together. And it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you and I are no different. See, walking in that koinonia fellowship that we've been talking about for the past several weeks, that's not natural at all. Trust me. Some of you can be kind of annoying. Just saying. And I'm sure you feel the same way about me, right? And if it's not me, it's somebody else. That's the human nature in us. We tend to rub each other the wrong way. We tend to kind of annoy each other from time to time. There's moments where it's even hard to be friends with somebody because we just don't like them and we don't hang out well together. We don't have a lot in common. There's nothing in me that would naturally want to sell everything I have and just give it to somebody. It's just not. In fact, my natural response would probably be more like, you made your own decision. Suck it up, buttercup. And I know some of you would say the same thing if I were in that boat, right? Come on, tell the truth. Some of you are smiling and some of you are trying to hide like you wouldn't do that, and I know better. But see, that's my sin nature talking. That's the natural me. And Scripture tells us over and over and over that when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and we are made into a new creation. Transformed from the inside out, we begin to think differently. We begin to see differently. 
we begin to have a whole new perspective and understanding. But see, as I study more and more about the Holy Spirit, here's the struggle that I see. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is just that. It's a relationship. And a relationship is two-sided. It takes two people to be in relationship, and both have a role to play. I heard Francis Chan describe the Holy Spirit once like a GPS. Now, your phones don't quite do this anymore, but if you still have one of these cool standalone GPS units, and I don't know how many of you have these because everybody uses their phone these days. You know, Google and everything else has taken over, but I still love this thing. I put it in my truck if I'm going on a long trip because it gives me information that my phone doesn't give me. And how does the GPS work? You put in the destination, you take off down the road on your trip, it gives you all the important information, telling you where to turn, how fast you're going, what the speed limit is, etc. And then somewhere along the way, if you're anything like me, you're not really paying attention, maybe you're talking to somebody or you're thinking about something else, you either miss a turn or you turn the wrong direction. And if you have one of these units, what does every single one of them say in that moment? Recalculating, right? Exactly, recalculating. And it's usually this nice, soft, feminine voice that comes across your GPS, recalculating. And you go, oh, I want to go that direction. Unless you're like Dave and you download a Mr. T and it goes, turn around, fool, you're going the wrong direction. But normally it's this soft, easygoing voice that just says, recalculating. You can still get there. You can get to your destination from here. You just need to adjust your path a little bit. Come this way. I'll still get you there. And see, I think the Holy Spirit is a lot like that. When we have that transformation, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and does the same kind of thing. When we make the wrong choice, when we get off track, when we're going the wrong direction, it just says, recalculating, you can still get there from here. Turn this direction. But here's the problem. Ultimately, no matter what the GPS says, no matter what the Holy Spirit may be speaking in our hearts, the choice is ours of what direction we go, isn't it? That GPS doesn't drive my truck. It's not going to make me turn left. It'll say turn left, but I don't have to follow it. I can choose to go my own way. And my problem is I have a little bit of a stubborn streak in me. Ask my family. They'll confirm it. And there's times I can plug in that GPS and I can put the destination in and I'm going down the road and it's telling me to turn left. And what do I do? No, thank you. I know a better way to get there. I can get around it this way. I can shortcut over here. I can get through traffic quicker if I go this direction and I go my own way. And sometimes, every once in a while, when I'm driving, that works. But I'm learning more and more that when it's the Holy Spirit speaking into my life and he says, turn here, I need to trust and follow. And it doesn't really matter that everything in me is screaming not to go that way. I can be looking ahead to the circumstances going, no, it's going to be hard, it's going to hurt, it's going to take too long. I don't want to go that way. But I'm learning that my life always goes better when I listen and obey in those moments. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that circumstances are going to be what I want them to be, but in the long run, life always works better when I'm obedient. See, I think our other big struggle for most of us is that we focus pretty much on the arriving, on the destination. Where for God, he steps back and he sees a bigger picture. He's not just concerned with where we're going or how we're getting there. He's concerned with whether or not, excuse me, he's not just concerned with whether or not we get there. He's concerned specifically about how we get there. And he's concerned about who we are when we arrive and what condition we're in. In other words, our only focus tends to be on our current circumstances and how we get through them. Where God's much more concerned with 
who I am and who I'm becoming. The Holy Spirit's given me direction that will shape my character, develop my heart, teach me who I truly am in Christ. You know, for as long as I've known Dave, I've heard this phrase come from him many times in my life and many times in other people's lives. And now I've come to learn to really appreciate it. So when somebody comes in and talks to him, and I love it because we're in cubicles over here in the office. So we all sit kind of on top of each other. You hear everything that's going on. And I hear somebody come in and start sharing their story. And I go, here it comes. Here comes the statement. And Dave will say this, God's more concerned with your character than he is with your circumstances. He's more concerned with your character than he is with your circumstances. And it's true, and I hate to break it to you, but that's not Dave's idea. It came from Scripture. It's God's idea. In fact, every passage I read this week in my study about the Holy Spirit, I don't remember a single place that talked about the Holy Spirit fixing my circumstances. I don't remember a single thing I read that said it was going to make my struggles easier or make life easier in general. But on the contrary, every passage spoke to the changes that will happen in me when I choose to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. In fact, several of the passages I read have a list of things that I have to choose in order to allow the Spirit to really work in my life. Things like Romans 8, chapter, verses 5 and 6. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. I have to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to control my mind. It takes me back to, to Romans 12, one of my favorite passages. In Romans 12, 2, where it talks about we are transformed when we allow God to change the way we think. That's how we're transformed. There are other passages like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 32. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear him. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Direction coming from the Holy Spirit, but things that we have to do. Another passage I love, Second Peter 1, 3-9. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Pause right there. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's given us everything we need by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And here's key words. In view of all of this. So as we think about that, as we think about everything that God's given us, as we think about what the Holy Spirit is doing and means in our lives, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. 
and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this area are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Now, these are just three passages, and there's several more throughout the New Testament that speak very similar kinds of things. Probably my favorite of them I didn't even mention yet, and that's the passage from Galatians with the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And I love how that one paints such a stark contrast of what it looks like when we walk in the sinful nature compared to when we're walking in the Spirit. But in all of these, I hope you're seeing the same thing that I saw. There's nothing in there about my circumstances. Nothing about what I want to accomplish, nothing about where I'm going. Everything is about my personal growth in my relationship with Christ. And did you hear how the Second Peter passage concluded? The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. Think about that a second. In other words, the more God is changing you from the inside out, the more you're looking at the development of your Christian character, the more you're looking at what God wants you to be, the person he wants you to be, and you're developing and growing in that, then the more productive you're going to be for the kingdom. I don't know about you guys, but I tend to get that backwards a lot of times. Maybe it's just my struggle and and, and just my natural tendency, but I tend to live in my circumstances often without even looking at or thinking about my character. Even the series we've been walking through, We've given all kinds of practical applications to help us walk in this koinonia fellowship that we've been talking about. And let me just kind of remind you, walk you back through, we've talked about things like extending forgiveness. That's critical. We have to be able to extend forgiveness to others. We've talked about what it means to handle conflict when somebody sins against us. How do we do that in a biblical way, in a calm way, in an appropriate way? We've talked about walking in true growth and accountability relationships, challenge you to plug into D groups and do things that are helping you to grow in that. Even last week, as Stivey was talking about covenant relationship and how we walk together as a church family. All these are great practical application kinds of things. But here's how I listen to a lot of those things. There's another box to check. There's another thing to do. There's another thing to plug into. It's not what was said. It's not even what I tried to communicate on some of those that I spoke. But it's often what I hear. And again, maybe this is just me and you don't see it the same way, but I find in my own life that it's a whole lot easier to check the boxes and to make everything look good on the outside, to behave correctly on the outside, when in reality, I'm just kind of avoiding what's going on in my heart. I get caught up in my circumstances and the goals that need accomplishing. And all along the way, the Holy Spirit's saying something like, slow down a little bit, look deeper. Turn here, go this direction, address this motivation. Stop for a moment and pray and and think about why did you react that way? Why are we here again? What's going on inside of you? In a nutshell, it's basically how are you changing in this process? How are you changing as the Holy Spirit works in your life? What's happening in you? What's different in you? What's God doing in your heart that's making you more like Him? See, it's not about your circumstances. It's not about your struggles. It's not even about your joys. It's about you becoming more like Christ every single day. And there's a very difficult truth here. 
that we can practice all of the things that we've talked about. We can apply everything that we've been walking through. You can plug into a D group. You can verbally extend forgiveness. You can even calmly and biblically address conflict with somebody. You can do all of those things, and they're all good things. And they'll all help give the appearance of walking in koinonia fellowship. It'll smooth the circumstances. It's going to look good from the outside. But the truth is, unless we're choosing each day to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us, and to change us from the inside out, we're never going to come to understand koinonia as we're intended to understand it. See, koinonia is a supernatural knitting together of hearts. It's not something we can just act our way into. I mean, yes, we can do the right things, and that's helpful, but it's bigger than that. It's something God's doing inside of us and changing us, changing how we see the world around us, how we see others. So from my perspective, the question that we're left with is simply this. How do I allow the Holy Spirit to guide my life? I mean, all this is good. Okay, look deep inside of me. You're telling me to to allow God to change me instead of changing my circumstances. And, And I get that. Okay, that's important. But how? How do I do that? Well, it seems like we say this every single week in some form or fashion. But it's another one of those concepts that is not easy but actually it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Go back to Acts 2 and that basic foundation of the church that we see. They devoted themselves daily to four things, to seeking truth, the apostles' teaching and learning from God's word, to fellowship, that koinonia, walking together in spirit-directed relationship, communion, remembering the source of the grace that they experience, and prayer, communication with God. And we've got to do the same things. We've got to make the choice every single day to be in God's word. And if you haven't heard that a hundred times, you haven't been here very long. Because we say this all the time. But yet, what's the first thing that disappears when we get busy or when life gets crazy or when things aren't going well? It's almost always the time in God's word. It's almost always the stopping to spend that time to allow him to speak to our hearts. Yet, that is one of the greatest tools that the Holy Spirit has to speak to our hearts is through God's word. We have to spend that time every single day. We've got to make time every day to walk in relationship with God through prayer. That prayer needs to be two-way communication. Not just me throwing up all the stuff about my circumstances and sharing all the struggles I'm walking through and talking about all the needs I have that day or the things that I want to accomplish. It's taking time to be still and allow him to speak to me. It's taking time to just listen. God, what are you wanting to say to my heart in this moment? What are you wanting me to see? And if I'm being honest, this is probably my biggest struggle because I don't do very good at being still. You even see when I'm up here talking to you, I can't stand still. I like to move. I like to get back and forth. If my hands aren't moving, my mouth doesn't work very well. I don't like to be still. But you know what's interesting is my wife is constantly after me about, would you just sit down? Would you just be still for a moment? And it doesn't even matter so much why I'm being still or what's going on. Just just be still. And why do you think she says that to me? Because she wants that time in relationship. She wants to be able to share with me. She wants me to be able to listen to what she has to say. She wants to have a meaningful conversation. It doesn't matter whether it's about our calendar next week or what we've got going on at work. or it, It doesn't matter what we're talking about. Our kids... Just be still. Let's talk. Let's spend that time together. Make it meaningful. We've got to have the same thing with God, that two-way communication. 
We've got to take time regularly to remember the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. It's labeled specifically here as communion as we look at that scripture. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's you taking time at home just to have that personal worship experience and to share in communion. That doesn't have to be something that's served to you by church. It may be something where you just get the grape juice out and the bread and you set it there on your kitchen table and you have your own private worship experience. If that's what God leads you to do, do it. Maybe it's you getting together with a few friends and having a great time and sharing that, sharing in that worship moment. Maybe it's with your small group. Maybe it's not even communion. Maybe it's just taking a few moments to reflect a little bit on the grace that God's extended in your life. Maybe it's taking a few moments to just write down some of the things you're thankful for, some of the ways that you see his grace playing out in your life. Taking time to remember what Christ did for you on the cross, how he's poured his grace out upon you. And then we have to make the choice to walk together in community. And Brian talked a lot about this last week, but I just, I want to reiterate this. And I, I may come across a little harsh in this, but this is important. Koinonia cannot happen if you're absent. Hear me on this. Koinonia cannot happen if you're absent. Relationship requires presence. It's why Sherry's after me all the time to just sit still. Just be here. Because relationship requires presence. See, the Holy Spirit will often work to shape us through our Christian brothers and sisters who are walking alongside us in relationship. And when you don't come to church and when you skip out on small group and when you choose, for whatever reason, to isolate yourself from others, and I know a lot of us do that. I've done that before. I've watched many of you do that. You got all this stuff going on. Life's crazy. And instead of going to people to walk with you and help you, you kind of pull back and isolate yourself. And when we do that, you miss out. Those around you miss out. We all miss an opportunity for God to shape us and help us to grow. And in reality, what we're doing is we're limiting the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you go, well, you can't limit the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's omniscient, omnipotent. He's got all these qualities. He can overcome anything. Yes, he can. But it's still a two-sided relationship. And we still have a role to play. And when we don't show up, when we're not present, when we're not walking with our Christian brothers and sisters, when we're not walking in that relationship, we're limiting what he can do in our lives and in their lives, how he may have wanted to use us for someone else. See, the early church knew what was important. They kept it simple. And God was moving powerfully in them. One day, 3,000 people. And it says, and God continued to add to their number daily those who were being saved. He was doing something powerful. And I have to wonder... If the early church were to look at us today, what would they say? What would they say? See, we tend to look back at them and go, man, that's a crazy way to do church. Just those four foundational, that's all you do? I mean, how, how are you attracting people to the church? How, how are you doing this or that? How are you making things work? But I've got to think if that early church were to look at us, they might say the same thing. You call that church? How are you functioning? How are you doing what God's called you to do? Prayer is not the foundation of who you are. It's not the main thing about you. It's not the main aspect of your relationship. You're not spending time reading the word every single day. You're not meeting together every day. 
How in the world can that be church? Ben, you guys come on up. I'm going to close this morning with the passage that I just referred to while I go from Galatians. It's Galatians chapter 5. And you probably know this passage. It's the passage about the fruits of the Spirit. But, but it's really, it's broken into two different sections. And the first part of the passage is all about if we make the choice to follow our sinful nature, what does that look like? So basically, if we're making our decisions on our own, we're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying in our lives. We're just kind of doing our own thing. We're not listening to GPS. We're rolling on, making our own turns, making our own path. This is what our life's going to look like. And then the second half of the passage is all about if we're following the Spirit, if we're allowing the Spirit to speak into our lives and give us guidance, and we're being obedient to that, this is what it'll look like. And I want to ask you just to simply reflect after I read this, I'm, I'm going to ask you just to reflect as the band plays. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Which of those characteristics is most evident in my heart? And I'm not talking about what would someone else see in your life. Because we're all pretty good about putting on a good face. And you know, we all have the fake book thing nailed down pretty well. We can tell people what we want them to know, and we can put the pictures out that demonstrate who we want to be and how we want people to see us. Social media has done a great job of corrupting that for us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's really going on in your heart. If you're honest with yourself, what is it that your heart reflects? What are the things that show up in your life that show whether you're following the Holy Spirit's leadership or the sin nature? Which category would you fall in? And what is God wanting to do to develop you? Listen to these words. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hostility. Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty harsh verse. Think about all those things I just said. I don't know what that might look like in all of our lives individually, but I bet some of those words can resonate with decisions we've made or maybe are still making. He goes on, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So when we're listening to the Spirit and making decisions based on the direction He's giving, here's what it looks like. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
So the band's gonna play a song called You Won't Relent. I'm sure you're familiar with it. We've done it here a bunch of times. But it basically talks about how God won't give up on his pursuit of us. He won't ever quit coming after us. He won't ever quit saying, recalculating, trying to give us a different path, a different direction, showing us how to get back on the path so that we reach our intended destination. So I want you to take a few moments as I start the song for however long you need just to listen and reflect. And I want you to think about those different categories that I just read to you. And what's reflected in your heart? Where are you? Have you made a wrong turn and and you need to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow him to guide you back onto the right path? Or are you at a place where you're listening to him and you're allowing him to speak and you're you're doing your best to be obedient? And I'm not talking about being sin-free. Don't don't hear that. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are always going to get it right. We're always going to mess up along the way. There's going to be sin in our hearts. The difference is, is the sin in our hearts something that says, hey, I made a wrong turn. I need to listen and get back on track. Or is it something where we're just blatantly going, nope, I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do my thing. Because stop and think about it. The way GPS works, if I leave here and my destination's in Georgia, I can drive all the way to New York City and I'm still going to get the same message out of my GPS. Recalculating. Initially, I'm going north. Eventually, I'm needing to go south and it's pointing me back in the right direction. It doesn't matter that I'm 10 or 15 states off course. It's still trying to pull me back to the same place. And the Holy Spirit's the same way. It doesn't matter whether we made one wrong turn or we've made 185. He's still saying the same thing. Come back this direction. Get back on this path. Walk back over to here. Let me make you into the person that God created you to be. So take a few moments as they play and just reflect. If you need to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, I'll be back here in the back at Next Steps with Tim and Joni and Sharon and some others, and we'll be there that we can talk to you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you don't ever relent, that you don't ever give up on us, that you, you, you don't ever quit giving us the right direction and putting us back on the right path and giving us opportunity to respond in obedience. God, I thank you that you have promised that when we come to you and we confess our sins and we repent and we invite you into our lives, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and you will give us direction from that day forward. That you will constantly be our guide, showing us which way we should go, that you will use your word to speak truth into our lives, that you will speak to our hearts through the Spirit's leading. God, that you'll give us those times in relationship where we just sit with you in prayer and and it's not just us sharing our heart, the things that you already know, but it's you in return sharing your heart and giving us direction. God, if we're sitting here this morning and realizing that we haven't heard your voice in a while and we don't know what you're saying, that would indicate that we're off course that we've gotten so distracted by the things around us that we're not even listening to that GPS voice in our lives anymore. We're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying. So help us just simply to be attentive to what you may be saying to us in this moment. God, help us to look beyond our circumstances, look beyond our struggles, look beyond the things going on in our lives. And just simply ask the question, God, what do you want to do in my heart? 
What do you want to do in me? Who is it you want me to become? How do I get there? Speak boldly this morning, and may we respond boldly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.